Yeah. <laughs> Zach's like trying to ask me questions. We start to have like, what's what's up, folks? We are here for uh, the first episode of Movies on Islands Month, which is uh, our our topic that we picked uh, based on the release of The Suicide Squad. I, I do like the fact that they've decided that the way to make a movie and not have it tied to the original one is rather than calling it Suicide School, they're just going to put a the before it because that's totally not a different title at all. Um, yeah. It's an interesting choice, also, but I'm very excited. Could we just, without seeing the movie, say that this movie sucks because they're stealing the plot of The Incredibles. They got to fight evil things quarantined on an island. Yes, Suicide but Squad it, does The Incredibles might be a, a good idea. I'm in for it. The Incredibles, though, are like good people fighting bad people, and, the Incre- and then Suicide Squad is like terrible, awful, terrible. What if people. they're fighting the Incredibles? Then that is some serious product <laughs> synergy between WB and uh, Disney. That would be some, just, some craziness going they, on. I, I think in, in the, the universe we live in now, in our COVID stricken universe, there's no sweeter message about unity and connection than WB and Disney connecting to make a incredible Suicide Squad crossover movie. I think that's what they're trying to do. If anything, there's that corporations care about is um, unity and sending out positive messages to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Although this is not our uh, episode on the Suicide Squad. So we're, uh, we're not going to go too far. The movie we're talking about today is The Guns of Navarone, which is a 1961 war film. But before we jump all the way into our topic, and I have uh, some takes about how this movie ties into The Suicide Squad, um, let's do the last Letterbox movie. Mr. Zach Ford is excited and is going to tell us what he watched in Log Glass. Hit it, Zach Ford. Ooh, man, I like to hit it. It makes me feel like I'm about to, to drop a song, drop a beat. Um. Thanks for answering my question in the chat, by the way. Um, really mess up with uh, my focus here. Uh, I watched today in the theaters. The theaters. Um, old. Yeah, the theaters. Old. Um, old. People getting old on the beach. So, so <laughs> you, um, that is my thoughts. Yeah. Um, it is a solid fun time. I'm really happy I saw it in the movie theaters um in summer with uh one other person in the theater on uh twelve o'clock on a Monday, the ideal way to see a movie. Um and people say I'm excited to go to the movie theaters, like have a shared experience. Like what a shared experience? I go with one other person. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> this is my normal. Um anyways, it's still Really fun. I, I think M. Night Shyamalan doesn't get enough credit for making movies that aren't made anymore. People so often want to whine and complain about they don't make them like they used to. Everything's Marvel. They don't make, you know, dramas or thrillers or genre movies like mid-budget blockbusters. And, like, he does. He gets a lot of shit for what he does with a lot of them. You know, going a little far too up his ass. But now, sometimes you just got to appreciate the hustle and appreciate that he's getting original ideas made and interesting things. And even though this is based on a graphic novel, uh, it's still an original idea. There's not movies like this coming out. Like, it kind of be, like, horse, but really it's more like a... Um, great episode of the Twilight Zone, and and we should have one of them, like one of those a month. Um, just great like sci-fi standalone contained stories. Um, and it's interesting. Um, it's also a great acting showcase. It got all these like the breakout actors of the past five years, um, and then a couple like greats like Gael Garcia Bernal and, and Rufus Sewell. Um, but also these breakouts like um, I'm gonna blank on every single person's name. I'm going to tell you the movie, and you're going to tell me the person. Ready? Here we go. Leave no trace. Oh, uh, that, that, that's oh crap! I'm blanking on it too. No, we're, we're both. We're embarrassing. Why do we this even is, have a show? Best. 
Okay, let's keep going. Phantom Thread. What's her name? Uh, Vicky Creeps. Vicky Creeps. Best performance of the movie. Honestly, really good. Yeah, it, it really add, she adds a lot of credibility to that. Like Thomas and Mackenzie is the person who's thinking. Thank you, but Vicky Coop especially, I think, really grounds it and, and and make like adds to the drama of it and, and sells the emotions, which can be silly. But between her and Gal Serbia and all, especially you know in later scenes, they make you feel something that you didn't think was going to happen through this film. That have the emotional heft it does. Um, also, have an Oscar. Um, should she have an Oscar now for this movie? No, no, no. I, I'm I, saying she, she should have had, had the Panther Fred <laughs> She's amazing. Um, oh, I got a name. Eliza Scanlon. We talked about her in our best of last year for Baby Teeth because she's great in Baby Teeth. She is great. Um, she, she's in this. A little smaller role. But so, I'm just saying all these like names of the past few years as like next great things, these three women. Um, yeah. For sure. Also, Alex Wolfson. He, he, he kind of has a hard part to play. Um, without me spoiling too much, but it, it's interesting. And His entire and, career is just like eat shit and play the character who has the world's worst like life experience. Um, he should have won a Emmy for the drummer in the Naked Brothers Band, an all-time classic TV show. He's so funny in it. He sings the song they wrote with his brother, Nat Wolf, or he wrote the one that sang it. I can be, they, it was a standalone drum song, and it's a fucking banger. I can be anything I want to be, Lucas. So I learned from Alex Wolf when he was like seven years old. Nice. Any more takes on Old or Shyamalan? Nah, see it. It looks good. It's fun. It's fun. Great watching like our best actors do like kind of weird, silly things. Um, interesting. That's what you need. Yeah, this is um, interesting because you have a very positive take. On it. There are some positive takes. The overall take is probably very mad on this film, um, which I'm not really surprised by. I think part of us, I think partly everyone is sort of realizing this point that split may have been the aberration and not the norm. Uh, for the career of Shyamalan, that he may not. I, I think split. There was a lot of like Shyamalan is back, and I think maybe we're acknowledging more than anything is that he's not as trash as he was during a really bad run in the two thousands. But he might just be an inconsistent filmmaker who takes some choices, and sometimes those choices like work, and sometimes they kind of they kind of flop. He always it's even like his, he's stole, well, it's either the story works or people find the story a little silly. Yeah, he also just like. I mean, Glass was weird in that it was just kind of boring. And, like, that's not usually something you equate with Shyamalan. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see old. This is one of those trailers you watch in theaters. I saw it before Black Widow and was like, that's interesting. I have no idea what that movie is because I don't think Shyamalan's movies really fit well to trailers because he wants to – He wants to. there's not a lot of, like, trailer shots in a Shyamalan movie. He's trying to just make a film. That is more yeah. like weirder and bizarre and doesn't. And honestly, in a way, this is the one that to me most felt like Shyamalan back kind of statement, just because I think it has the most connective tissue and tonality and storytelling to those earlier films where he really started to make a name. Um, like Split it has a little more like, like kind of super Harley thrills. It's it's not really relying on like a sci-fi twist or there's like slight twist. It's more about the, I don't know horror elements of it rather than hmm. these kind of eerie stories which is what he got known for yeah it does look more like in line with the early stuff of his career i'm excited to see it um i will uh, check back in with you when i actually see it and have thoughts um yeah. so my last thing i logged on letterbox was 19 i believe it's 1988 as tear go as tears go by which is the uh directorial debut of one one car y um Tears Go By uh, tells the story of a man who lives um, in some big city 
Uh, his cousin comes to stay with him. Uh, and because she's ill and needs uh, help in from a hospital and they begin like a love affair together. He also has a brother who is sort of a scr constant screw up and is constantly involved with all the wrong people. A lot of uh, triad uh, representation here and he's constantly getting into trouble. And then the main character is constantly having to save his brother from getting killed while at the same time, he's having this relationship with his cousin and they're having this on and off again thing as they go in and out of their other's lives. Um, it's kind of amazing. Uh, you can see kind of where yeah, one car Y would start. Like it's just a, a really, really, really well put together first film. Beautiful, um, uh, visually interesting. He shoots action really well. He shoots like quiet moments really well. Um, it's the best uh, use of "Take My Breath Away" in any movie ever. Uh, a particularly great sequence uh, featuring that song. Um, should oh, this should have been our theme song for the day? Missed opportunity. It's okay. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, just it's really amazing. I don't want to go too far into it because this is one that very few people have seen. This is not one of his, you know, first or second most popular ones. Uh, really great film. Wong Kar Wai is a really great director. And uh, are you going to watch them all? Are you going I am. To it? I am. I'm yeah. working my way through his entire filmography, and uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Uh, this was uh, one of those first movies you're like. Sometimes you watch first time directors and they show promise and interest, and you're like, I want to see what they can do with their Fritchie movies. And obviously he shows that, but he also just shows a fully formed, really incredible and um, in intriguing film just from the beginning. Uh, We're going to be really hate the mainstream with this segment for the next two months with me talking Fellini movies and you talking Wong Kar Wai movies. Building up that audience, baby. Yeah. I mean, you and me are clearly just populists <laughs> of all uh, connoisseurs of all popular cinema. So uh, it totally makes sense. We're about to talk about, the Guns of Navarone, which is a film that Everyone's everybody has seen, although it's actually like shockingly has like nine Oscar nominations. But let's jump ahead to that. Um, let's talk Guns of Navarone. Let's do a plot summary. I will start. Please. This is not okay. This is going to make this really quick. Um, there's an island. The island has 2,000 British soldiers on this island. Um, the island, the entrance to the island is protected by huge guns that the Germans have. The only way for the allies to rescue the troops and bring them back is to get rid of those guns. If they don't get rid of the guns, the troops will die and Turkey might be drawn into the war on the side of the Nazis. Basically, the military goes, make a team, go there. Gregory Peck, you're used to climb rock, used to be a rock climber. You're going to climb up the side of this mountain. It's the only part of the island that you're climbing onto you can get onto. It's the only part they don't watch super closely. So you're going to rock climb up this, you're going to go there, you're going to destroy these guns, and um, then we're going to be able to send destroyers down the strait, and they're going to be able to get all the troops out. Uh, they, they cross the ocean, they have some problems, they run into some Germans, they have to escape, uh, people get injured, people die... Uh, the team gets to the end of the thing. They put some there's explosives. betrayal. There's, there's sex ish. There's yeah, there's some, there's some kissing. Uh, they <laughs> basically put some explosives in. They start escaping. They think the explosives haven't worked. The explosives do work, and then the guns blow up. Yay! We can rescue the allies. Take like, that are yeah, take like a classic war adventure plot and put it on an island. There you go. You get guns that room. Yeah, it's a very, very like small team of soldiers has to. Do something, rescue someone mission. This 
Um, by the way, a little behind the scenes chat. When we originally were gonna do um, assembling the team movies, we could have done this no matter what. You got the explosive guy. You got the knife guy. The gun you guy. Got the gun guy. You got the local. The rock you got climber. The, the spy. The rock climber. The British um, officer. The American officer. Those aren't great roles. It's like give them credit. Yeah, but you need him in a, in a military. You need him in an army plane. I will say though. One thing I noticed, and I don't think either of us has a ton to say in this movie, mostly because it's a very straightforward 1960s war film. It's like, it's a movie, you get to the end, you enjoyed watching it, you certainly are not complaining about having watched it, but it's also not one of those films that has like a lot of super interesting choices. It's very straightforward. Um, yeah. Very traditional, traditionally made. It's like Narratively, it doesn't make any crazy choices. Character-wise, it doesn't make any crazy choices. It doesn't have any crazy action sequences. It doesn't shoot itself in a particular way. It's shot very much like... We're gonna make it look dark and gritty. The one thing I will say is, of all the movies we've picked for our month of movies on islands, this to me feels like by far the one that's going to be closest to what the Suicide Squad is, because it actually feels like a team on an island doing a mission. We picked other movies for the movie for the uh, movies on islands month that are just on islands, but are not related to like team ups or assault missions or really missions of any kind. So. This feels like the one that is, it's interesting, we started the month of this, not knowing it's going in. This feels like the one that's most going to be like uh, the Suicide Squad. Um, looks like we're having some technical issues. Zach, I'll just keep talking. Um, I'll have you. And there he goes. Uh, we'll hopefully get him back in a second. I'll just keep talking. So the team has to be assembled are you there mr ford all right he's gonna come back in a second sorry everyone um so let's do a quick rundown they have to build a team, they have to hey. Build a team. hey zach's back um zach what do you think about my take this is the club of the closest of our movies and islands movies that are that's going to be as close to the Suicide Squad as possible of all the options we picked. I think definitely because I, I brought up that the other connecting element was the, the building up a team. So having that, everyone having to roll on a mission, um, having the venture aspects, uh, we're not doing, you know, we're kind of crossing genres throughout our island um, movies. It's not going to be people trying to accomplish um, a task, accomplish a goal. So definitely this this does. Um, so I'm going to watch it in that lens. I'm just going to compare everybody. You know, how similar is Harley Quinn to, to Gregory Peck right now? Um, <laughs> it's going to be a very important lens to use for the movie. Um, there better be a fucking explosion sky in Suicide Squad or else that's a wasted opportunity. Absolutely. Um, let's do a quick rundown of the team that they use. So it's led by Major Roy Franklin. Um, he's American and played by Anthony Quayle. Uh, he, during the front of the film, gets injured and falls and, like, breaks his leg. Um, Captain Mallory is the Gregory Peck character. He's a spy and the guy who has former rock climbing experience. Alexander uh, uh, Andreas Stravro is the um, sure, he's the Greek colonel. He's played by Anthony yeah. Quinn. Maybe the best and like, and, and he's, like, a the not friend, but, like, worked with Gregory Peck, and they have a backstory of drama. Um, where honestly, like super dark, and this might be the most interesting part of the movie that doesn't get fully dubbed into because it's uh, classical style. But that Gregory Peck um, like made the decision to not like kill these troops or something, right? And then they ended up murdering his family, his yeah, wife, they, and children. Yeah, they, he uh, allowed, I believe, the Nazis to like 
evacuate or take injured people, yeah. believing that they were still uh, fighting a noble noble war, and yeah. uh, sort of uh, got Stavros' family killed in the in the the, the process. Um, so we got Anthony Quayle's character. His best friend is Corporal Miller, played by David Niven. He's the explosives guy. Then James Darren plays a Greek guy named Spiros. And then uh, Stanley Baker is an engineer and a knife, knife expert. He's called Butcher Brown. <laughs> engineer slash knife expert. My wife's an engineer. I need to get her to get that other part on her resume. She's also be a knife expert. I just want to come. I just want you to have like a place in your house where she's just throwing knives constantly. Just have a dartboard. She just start throwing the knives into it. That's elevating the game to the next level. Hot take. She's going to break your dartboard real fast as you start throwing <laughs> knives at it. Um, uh, you mean she's going to break our wall, our drywall real fast? Yeah, she's going to break a lot more than Oliver. <laughs> a lot more than that. Um, so they get on a boat disguised as Greek fishermen. They run into a patrol of Nazis. They have to fight them and kill them. Um, then they get up. They have to climb the cliffs. This is when uh, the Roy Flanken character is injured. Um, and then they kind of run into some locals on the island. Uh, they go through some various adventures where they have to run from Nazis, fight Nazis. Uh, it is eventually revealed that one of the locals, the one of the quote-unquote resistance fighters, is actually a German spy. They have a, as, the, as Roy Franklin gets sicker and sicker, they have this sort of subplot where the Gregory Peck character does something that is seen by the other characters as sort of unfair and that he lies to him and gives him false information in case the Nazis end up uh, torturing him or using like truth serum on him. So he gives the wrong information. Um, and then the end of it, they not just wrong information that makes it seem like just so he's not giving the, the details, but it's like helpful for on their side. It's a decoy to get them to leave so they can go in and stop the explosions. I don't understand why the other characters view this as that evil. Like this to me seems like the obvious choice. Like, He's a soldier. It's this is not a civilian. You're telling this information to. You're telling this yeah. information to like a major in the the military. Like he he has you know, his role in in life is not to be protected by to the other. Serve. It doesn't really make any sense for Gregory Peck to be like, yeah, we're going to protect this guy and tell him all the information because like that just feel, and I, it's I, not I, damaging to him. It doesn't cause any harm. They're not force. They're not like saying we're going to act. We're going to make you get caught. So you can get towards your tickets. Like, if this happens, this can like be a thing. Yeah, They're not it, like using them. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird choice. Um, I, I think they should know. give everybody in the military fake information in case this happens. Just mislead everybody, and then I, I mean that might lead to chaos. I probably shouldn't be a military strategist. Don't listen to my ideas. Well, they do stuff like they do compartmentalization. So like, not everybody knows yeah. every part of the plan. That way, yeah. How's that any better? You can't capture a private and then gain every piece of information about a, like an entire offensive. Like, you know, there's there's the information is split up and given to different people in a way that that it's not as easy to intercept. To me, this also that to me just feels like a moral moment that is very stuck in the 1950s morality. Like that doesn't feel like that feels like something that doesn't age to today. It's like today we're like, how is this even a thing? But I probably in like the 1950s context makes a lot more sense why they would see that as immoral. Um, yeah. What do you, you think, think this, this movie like, thinks that is a statement on 1950s morality, but it's just so um, like stayed and normal to actually go into it deep? Do you think? Because I think there's a little bit of with, with the statement saying, "I thought we were fighting a moral war." There's a little bit like what happens to our morality in the war, and we have to do shitty things. But the movie's also just trying to be a fun adventure, so it can't delve that deep into that philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still stuck in like. 
we forget when we look back now because it's been so long since all these wars. But like the attitude towards World War II is so vastly different from the attitude towards Vietnam. And this is very much in the World War II where we actually were like, we're the good guys and we're fighting the yeah. bad guys and we're doing the right thing and they're doing the wrong thing. Like there was so much more a black and white look at the war. And then you cut to Vietnam and people are like, even in pop culture, even in the movies are like, this is stupid. Why are we here? This is dumb. This is like, we're not, not this isn't accomplishing anything. All these people are dying. Like even this movie makes it seem like there's like a nobility to death in service to your country that you don't see in like Vietnam era movies. Like this is very much like, if if major if the major dies because of his broken leg and the gangrene, well, he did it in service of the mission. As long as the mission gets accomplished, it doesn't matter how many people die. Like the mission is above all. Like the mission is like your purpose in life is to accomplish this mission. It's this very yeah. like, you know, it's this very black and white. You know, if you accomplish the thing you're doing, if you help other people, then like you do the right thing. Yeah, because you can't really make a fun adventure film about the Vietnam. If you're making a Vietnam War movie, you are just in, right away inherently making a statement, no matter what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. When World War Two, because you're saying because because we have heroes, we have heroes, we have villains, and they're, they're, you can't fight that idea. It can just be a swashbuckling adventure, just like cowboy movies, and just like yeah. um, Robin Hood in a way. We know who to root for. Well, and part of that is just that World War Two is not a political war. There's no two sides to it. There's not a political divide in the country about the the, the importance of the war. It was. It two was sides that, domestically. I mean, d d technically, two sides. We got it. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, like, like if you look to, if you get to Vietnam, there are parts of the political landscape that are saying, "We shouldn't be in Vietnam. This is a bad idea. We should leave." And there's parts yeah. saying, "No, we have to stay. We need to stay." Blah 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 blah. And that that you know that carries forward with every basically every war from Vietnam to the present. There was not really a political part of our government being like. Well, the Republicans think we shouldn't be in World War II, but the Democrats think we do. Like that's not even a concept that would they would even. That was such a foreign concept to them back then. I also think they they set it up as like this mission is going in to blow up these guns to save two thousand people. I think it's very intentional that they set it up that like it's such a vast amount of Allied soldiers that have to be saved. So it's like yeah. they can do things that are somewhat immoral because it's a small team trying to accomplish a mission that could save two thousand people. If they could save two thousand people, we don't care what they do because then they've accomplished a good thing. Is that um, structure, that concept of the mission being about rescuing your own people, is that the best way to do a war movie? Because it's also what Dunkirk is based on. It's about the rescue rather than trying to, you know, destroy people and shoot down people or attack. You're just trying to save your own kind. Does that automatically give it a easier to root for morality too? Because you're not really seeing them as fighters and more as saviors in a way. Yeah, it's definitely a less morally complex version of war. If your characters are treated as here a hero team who have to occasionally break the rules of morality to accomplish the larger mission and save a bunch of people, then it's really hard for you as an audience member to watch this movie and go, man, I don't really like what they did there. It's like, well, of, of course they had to do that. They had to save 2,000 people. Like, you can't just let 2,000 people die. Like, you you know, I think they, like, they're very good about setting up the stakes of this to the point where, like, you're sort of on board with this team from the beginning, regardless of what they do, they could have, they could have done, you know, things that'd be more let like more morally complex than they did, and probably would have avoided them just because the movie sets them up so much as heroes. They're just like they are heroes. It's not like oh, I wonder what's going to happen to this team. It's like no, the heroes are going to go rescue people. Like that's just the the framing of it is just so cut and dry. Yeah. What do you think of the cast of this film? Um, I mean, you get movie star Gregory Peck. Great choice. I think he, um, 
you know, has the right amount of like gravitas and, and nobility and uh, leadership to make it, uh, you know, drawn to him as a character. I did pay, pay so much attention to his mouth in this movie. I guess I never realized how much he speaks out of the side of his mouth. And I think after a lot of this voice comes from, but he always finishes, I'm doing the wrong side. He always finishes his words on the left side of his mouth. It goes to the side. Um, pay yeah. to chat. It's like, yeah, and he doesn't open his mouth very wide when he talks. Um, but I think, you know, that adds a, a texture to his speech that is, you know, interesting. Um, what makes, you know, him gets like some of the best speeches ever in Kill Mockingbird. I think a lot of that is just his his vocal control. And I think that's important in this movie. It's just easier to root for. But yeah, he's also just damn good looking guy. I mean, he's also just like a perfect casting for this film and that he seems simultaneously charismatic morally right he just has that like nobility to him he's that real like american you know real american you know sense of we're gonna fight the war and i'm yeah. gonna do the right thing like he yeah. just has a real nobility to him that he has allows that classic him... americanness in general yeah 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 but even like even it's more so yeah he looks like a patriot but he also has the he doesn't have the he's, gruffness that like a John Wayne or somebody does. Like he always he's, he's gruffer and yeah, and this like you don't wouldn't think of it to kill Mockingbird, but in this he, there's a little bit of a a rebel rouser persona that you can see in him. You can see him like throwing a punch. Yeah, absolutely. I do think the cast overall is very talented, but sort of wasted because this movie is so much about like the progression of the plot and somewhat less about the progression of the characters. Like I feel like. You have a lot of really good people, and I like David Niven and Anthony Quinn and Anthony Quayle, and like a lot of basically everyone in the cast. But I feel like a lot of them get we get we get very much archetype. Like this is very much in line with like heist movies, and you get archetypes of these characters. Like that's the knife guy, that's the explosive guy, but then not always much more beyond that. You have a couple smaller moments, but I do think at times this movie gets bogged yeah. down in like the plot and less focused on the characters, which to me is the more interesting I, I like part of the movie. I like that, like they're all given their dramatic moments to shine, and and the moment to make their like statement about the war. That's why I see the movie trying to make a statement about how their morality because you get, um, what's his face, <laughs> can't do it, saying that they did he didn't want to kill people anymore, and he gives a speech on what you know the war is doing to him, um, mm -hmm. and and then you get David Niven's speech that's kind of similar later, but saying like why he won't shoot people ever, and even though he's the explosions guy. Um, so, so I think they get their time to like show why they were cast and why you get David Niven to not only get to deliver like the funny lines and be the sarcasm, you know, for a large part of the movie making comments about, you know, the ship being uh, un um, like prepared, um, but also he can like sell that dramatic moment at the end. You know what's the problem with David Niven is casting that guy not look like an explosions guy, not like Weasley enough. You gotta be more, would... a little more rascal. He does also look like he's probably higher ranked than a corporal. You're like, this guy's father is somebody rich. He definitely started as a captain. He's not a corporal in the military. Yeah, he's he a little like bit too of a, intelligent. Yeah, it's a little bit too much English nobility. Um, yeah, yeah. I really like Anthony Quinn in this. That's probably, I think he might be my favorite character. He's just most the most interesting one because they set him up early on, the idea that like he's lost his family and that he has this beef with Gregory Peck. But also simultaneously, you get to see like several moments throughout the film where like he truly has to stop himself between uh like hurting peck like he there's a moment where peck is hanging off the cliff and he doesn't necessarily he could have not saved him and thus fulfilled his obligation that he told tech he's going to kill him at the end of the war but then he yeah. also has this like he has this moral he has this darkness but also this moral complexity to him that is i think very interesting 
and very enjoyable. Yeah. And this also, you know, continues on. He has sort of like a a budding romance with the the female lead of the film, who's yeah, one he's of the, the one uh, gets gets to have sexy time. Well, I don't know. At, off at, later, as they go off to keep living on the island. I mean, they're um, in a boat. No, oh. yeah. Hmm. Right. Um, but I do, I do think the idea of trying to maintain your mission, your goal, um, despite all your um, emotional turmoil you're going on is a, is a great way to have characters in the war movie. That he has other shit going on, like other pain he's feeling outside of the moment, but he has to try to stay as uh, momentary as he can to focus on accomplishing this important thing and maybe that's what keeps him moving otherwise he can you know devolve into his pain and wallow which is kind of what you're led to believe he was kind of at before that he got recruited for this yeah absolutely just like living in his sorrow um so it's it's the distraction of having a purpose in a way i think it's interesting with them yeah i I think that like as much as i wish the characters given a little more i do like the fact that they in the midst of their war film take time out to have these smaller character beats rather than having to turn everything into just some shootout or some fight scene. Like they do like a lot more of these smaller character moments that are interesting. I do think like one of the most interesting moments in the film is they have an interesting like comparison of the different Nazis. They have like sort of the, the general infantry army Nazi, the Uber Lieutenant, and then the SS guy. And there's this interesting like, the idea that oh the regular Nazi soldiers are just like the British guys. There's nothing. There's no difference between them. He's just a normal dude who's like defending an island, serving his country. But then like there's a really clear in- intention to paint the SS person as like this sadistic, warped, twisted, messed up person who like actively enjoys hurting people in a way that the regular you know lieutenant in the German army doesn't. Yeah, it's like the twisted way our society can um, affect our yeah sense of morality. And what's right versus wrong. It's also just interesting because I feel like it makes a difference. It makes a statement about the difference between regular German soldiers and like the SS in the 1960s, which I feel like is something that over time has become more and more like prevalent that like people have talked about, you know, oh, there are differences between like the Nazis who are all in on this and actually like they actively enjoyed this evil behavior. And then like the people who are just like a member of the military because it was the military for their country. And that's what you did. You joined the military. Like, it makes a statement about the difference between, like, being a member of the German army and being a Nazi. Like, like much earlier than I feel like even, like, historians started to talk about the differences between these two things. It's just a, it's somewhat, it's a very progressive uh, statement in some respects that is, I just think, an interesting inclusion in the film. Yeah, for sure. Um, You want to, no, go ahead. You were about to say something. I had nothing to say. Um, but I mean, one of the I want to say um, once the movie it's a little before the intermission because it's been a long movie for the fifties or sixties. Um, there is an intermission. Um, always like fun to see. I don't know why I enjoy having that little cut in the middle. But a little before that, um, when it, it transfers from being from the water, the boat to the island, is when I feel like I start to get a little less engaged. For some reason when the, they're in the boat and it's like just like hangout vibes and you're really kind of just getting that that the, the um dynamics between the team um is when i'm like yeah this fucking rules i'm like all about this is like adventure in its best but in the island it becomes a little more you know about the plan um yeah a little more warish in a way um that i'm just a little less engaged because that i think that's when you take the when you said you wish there's more time to spend with the characters i think they do for an hour in the last hour and a half it's it's more about 
with how they're going to accomplish their goals. They should just be on a boat for two hours and have yeah, one last action scene. I actually agree with you on this. I do think that the better part of the movie is like the hangout mission thing on the boat. I think that's really interesting. There's all these like they're like having coffee and they're like talking about how they can't swim. There's all these like smaller character beats that I think are really valuable. I do. I agree with you. Two things. One, it does get really bogged down in plot on the island and very focused on just like accomplishing this mission. They also have this. I think they made a mistake, which is that they make accomplishing the mission too hard. They put too many roadblocks in front of it when they get to the island, and it's like you didn't need to have them get captured here and run into the planes here and have this happen. Like it feels like it gets way too complex. Like we would have been totally fine if they'd sneaked onto this Island and like had like one fight with the Nazis or had to pull one trick to get the Nazis away from the force so they could blow up the guns. Like it just takes way too long when they, since they get in there to actually get to the accomplishment. Like, cause like, the movie they supposed to have like what four days or something in the in the run of the movie and like the they first like out the days yeah the first like two days are on the boat and it's like an hour and then the last like twenty like thirty hours is like the remaining nine is like the remaining like you know an hour and a half of this movie and it definitely feels like it starts to drag at the end it feels like in a lot of respects it falls prey to a lot of nineteen sixties movies nineteen sixties was when movies were like. Yeah, we used to do this 80 minute like comedy thing that we were doing in the 40s. Now we're doing like two and a half hour epics for every movie, regardless of if you need it. And this is a movie that feels like it just don't really have enough plot or character to like last that long. It would have been nice if they probably could have cut out like 30 minutes and made a, a tighter, uh, probably slightly better film. I think I feel like that was that was the idea of how to get an Oscar, how to be taken seriously as be this grand epic in a way. Well, I mean, this did get nominated for seven different Oscars and one for Best Special Effects. It got nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, Editing, Music Score, Sound, Special Effects. Only one for one of them. The, the beginning of the movie where you are you know, introduced to Gregory Peck, kind of getting the rundown of the mission, but also meeting all the last soldiers that attempted the rescue and they like sarcastically say of course i'll go if i can like throw the person who sent us you know off the plane without a parachute you can't do anything in a plane that led me to believe this is going to be the most insane crazy fucking island ever like this is the scariest place it's a fucking death trip and it's just like these have good protection and they're like little you know caves and castles i was like there's gonna be dragons this could be like booby traps and it's like a real like they need like a jungle there should be a jungle in between we need like tigers it just it didn't seem like threatening enough with how that led to believe the threat was more you know contained and normal and just like good military strategy was their yeah. threat rather than um the like devil on earth like that that, that guy made it sound like they don't you're right they don't really set up <laughs> why this island is so impossible that they have to climb cliffs like it would have been interesting almost if they'd given us like two minutes of being and be like, look at the planes getting shot down. Like, I'm sure that they had anti aircraft guns. I'm sure they had stuff that would stop other methods of doing this. They obviously had the big guns. But like, yeah, you're right. It sometimes it doesn't it doesn't uh, su succeed in making their movie look particularly impressive. Although I don't think dragons would be good in this because they're not real. <laughs> yeah, I think it would and, be good in this. And jungles and tigers. Good. This is the wrong theater of the World War II to have the yeah, jungles and the tigers going Greek. on. It's Greece. There's not a lot of jungles, probably. Well, I mean, I think you'd need to be fighting the Japanese and probably not the Nazis yeah. if you wanted to be dealing with tigers and jungles. Yeah. Um, you got final thoughts Me on? Good. Uh, oh, I'm going to do my final thoughts. I don't have any thoughts on uh, specifically Guns and Averon, but my main final thought, and probably my last word on my deathbed, is we need more jungles in movies. Just, we need more jungles. 
Yeah, I would say that I, this to me was a fun 1960s, very traditional war movie um, that I will always enjoy watching. I wish it was a little shorter, but like that's kind of, you know, there's a couple of minor critiques, but like I don't think either of us has any huge critiques of this film. No. I do kind it's of a wish dad more movie. If you like get into like the classic idea of what a dad movie is, it does. Which feel is, like I guess everyone's dads now, uh, you know, in our generation are a little younger, is more like they're like fucking like Halloween or Back to the Future or something. But if you like, I guess they're now grandpa movies. Yeah, this is the more grandpa movie. The dad movies are like questionable uh, 1980s uh, teen movies and rom-coms with yeah. like questionable sexual politics. That's the dad <laughs> movie now. Um, but yeah, this is like, I just want more movies on islands. Islands are fun. I think this is what why I'm really glad we picked this as our topic because islands are just a fun um, setting. Like the idea just locking everybody in, in an enclosed space that's not like a train or something. Like you, you just, there. this is a limit to the environment that you can play with. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's often used as this like quarantined, isolated place where crazy shit is going down because it's so isolated. It can't be tracked or like monitored. And I think that's true for every one of our movies. Can, that's a connective tissue is the isolation lead to some kind of suspicious or crazy shit happening. Except sort of this movie, which is sort of more straightforward and just kind of has, has sh- military shit. They're occupying this island. They're trying just to take some, it over. Kind of some big guns. <laughs> I don't really know outside that. Is. But the talking, other for sure. Talking of crazy shit happening on islands, next week we will be returning to talk the island of Doctor Moreau, the 1996 John Franken movie, which is crazy. It really should just be called, aka, crazy shit on an island. That is um, originally. Like for real, how I proposed this idea to you first is I wanted a concept to be crazy shit on an island. That'd be the title of it. Essentially, that's what we're doing. So I'm yeah. alternatively calling that Crazy Shit on Island Month. I'm very excited for that one because that movie is insane and bizarre, but it's going to have a ton to talk about. So thank you, everybody, for listening, watching, uh, doing whatever you're doing. Um, if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. If you're anywhere else, subscribe. Leave us a review if that's possible. Uh, we'd love it all. Um, yeah. And we will see you next week when we talk about the island of Dr. Moreau. Good night, everyone. Zach's not going to say anything. Usually say something funny. I love you. you. I love you. Goodbye. Good riddance.